All right, welcome to the conversation. We got a great guest for you guys. His name is Wisdom Cole. He's the interim national director of youth and college at the NAACP. Wisdom, uh, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Uh, no problem. So uh, I know one of the issues you care you care about is canceling student debt. First, before we get into the specifics of why that affects African Americans more, um, what was Biden's promise and what has he done so far? You know, on the campaign trail, you know, Biden promised you know a lot of young people and people who were interested in thinking about voting for him to cancel student debt at least at a minimum of ten thousand dollars for all federal loans, and we had not seen that yet. We've seen a lot of cancellation for niche groups, which has been really great and important, but we definitely need to see more widespread cancellation, at least at a minimum mark of fifty thousand for all borrowers who qualify. So, what do you mean by niche groups? Just so folks at home understand. You know, people who were defrauded by for-profit colleges, and so as folks may have seen those commercials back in the day from ITT Tech and such. You know, people who were involved in those systems that actually also targeted Black borrowers in general. So we saw that happen quite early, which is really great and gives us hope that there's going to be more cancellation of student debt. But there definitely needs to be some more systems put in place to ensure that more borrowers have the opportunity to see this affect their own selves. Okay, makes sense. So wisdom. A question that a lot of folks at home might have if they're not familiar with the topic is, why does this affect black folks more than the average American and the average student? Well, I think what's really important to think about in the cancellation of student debt movement, particularly for black borrowers, is that black borrowers oftentimes acquire more debt and due to wage unemployment and inequities and labor markets and different things that happen basically within the wage gap. Black borrowers are oftentimes borrowing from a weaker economic basis. Oftentimes, and attend underfunded colleges, universities, and struggle to repay and underpaying and underemploying labor markets. And so, when you're recognizing the inequalities within the repayment program and process, you're going to see a lot of inequalities that exacerbate current issues that exist within the black community. Yeah, so there's a lot of different numbers thrown around, but one of the numbers I saw says that on average, white students owe about twenty-eight thousand, a little over twenty-eight thousand dollars. And black students owe more than $52,000 of student debt. So I'm afraid that the right wing takes numbers like that and twists it into the opposite of reality. But why is that? Why do black students on average wind up owing more debt? Yeah, the simple fact is that people who have money aren't taking out loans, right? People who have a weaker economic basis have to take out loans, right? You have to take out loans to survive, oftentimes to even pay for school, to pay for tuition, to pay for food, to pay just for living expenses on campuses. And then when you even look into some of these programs, oftentimes you see that students who are coming from out of state, students who don't necessarily have the same opportunities within the state that they are going to school in, don't have the chances to actually support themselves. And so black bar oftentimes have to take out more loans just to make sure they're able to make it through their first year. And then if they make it through their first year, it's a consistent battle year after year to ensure that they have money to stay in college. Yeah, I wanted to drive that point home because look, my family's lived a different version of this way back in the day. So my dad's side of the family had no money at all. And they were poor farmers down in Southeastern Turkey and and they had a lot of debt. And so the wealthier folks in town would be like, oh yeah, look at those poor folks with all their debt. Well, that's because it turns out my grandfather had a very serious health condition, which killed him when he was really young. And my dad was only nine months old. And they incurred a lot of debt trying to treat him, to try to save his life. And the reason they didn't pay out of cash is because they didn't have any cash. 
right? They didn't, and so that now bring it back to America. A lot of folks have talked about this, so I've got to ask you about the frustration. African American voters delivered for Biden and the Democrats more than anyone did, literally as as a percentage of the population, and certainly in critical states like Georgia. And this seems to be yet another promise made and not kept. So, are you hopeful that it's going to be kept at some point, or have you begun to get very frustrated at 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 Biden's intransigence on this? I think there are strides to actually make this happen for black borrowers, make this happen for all of America, right? Because we recognize that cancellation of student debt would help boost the economy for everybody. And so I think that there is really great progression and strides to making this happen. I think that if we really want to see a change for black America in the upcoming future, cancellation of student debt must be a top priority for the Biden administration. Um, recognizing, as you said, right, black black people, black borrowed, black folks uh, turned out in numbers. And so if we wanna make sure that we are keeping accountable to the words that were said on the trail, to the words that were said to black people across the nation. And if we really believe that we are gonna be pushing forward for economic justice, you know, this has to happen. Economic justice is racial justice. And I think for black borrowers, this gives them an opportunity to become homeowners, to become business owners, uh, to really determine their the future of their freedom and making sure that they have the opportunity to provide for their families and even send their kids to college in the future. Yeah, and I want people to understand this. We talked about this in the town hall with Nina Turner over the weekend in Cleveland. When you cancel student debt, I don't want people to mistake what we're saying here as like it's only going to go to black borrowers. No, it cancels student debt for everybody, white, black, Asian, it doesn't matter, right? And so, yes. It, these issues sometimes affect black Americans more, right? Whether it's this or it's our insane privatized healthcare insurance system, it's lower wages and on the minimum wage, etc. But when you raise the minimum wage, you don't just raise it for black folks, you raise it for everybody, right? When you do Medicare for all, you, everybody gets free healthcare, including Republicans, right? And so, so it really does affect a broad cross section. So Biden promised 10,000. You argue for 50,000, why 50,000 as a number? Right, so we see research shows us that 50,000 is definitely the number necessary to make a significant difference for black borrowers and borrowers of color. We've even seen that higher numbers such as 75,000 is gonna even be even better. But recognizing that at a minimum of 50,000, we'll see a difference as well as other specific loan borrow carve outs such as the end of interest payments on low payments, reducing the timeline for loan forgiveness programs because the system that actually is in operation right now around income repayment isn't working, right? You have. 8 million people who have been enrolled in different loan repayment programs and seeing only 32 people actually get their student loans canceled. That shows us that these systems that we are opting into are not working. We have to make sure we have a significant enough difference to make sure that people have a base to start from, right? Recognize that this is going to boost the economy, this is gonna help us, it's gonna support us. And so rather than putting just a minimum, let's go all out. Let's make sure that everybody has the opportunity for just and free future. Yeah, so I know this is gonna be a tough question to answer. But 
So, but let me do a prelude to it real quick. So, along the lines of what I just said on the other issues, you know, on police reform, which I know is another top issue for you in criminal justice reform. Again, Biden's dragging his feet, not doing much. And and the prelude that I have to it is that I'm from Muslim background. I was at a mosque recently, and I heard this great sermon about how. And and there was of course a couple of black Muslims in the mosque, but it was mainly Middle Eastern and white goers. And the person delivering the sermon was also of Middle Eastern origin. And and he said, I want you to go thank a black person today, because if it wasn't for black civil rights leaders, us Muslims wouldn't have the rights that we have now. We wouldn't have the protections that we have now, right? And so understand all that black folks suffered in this country to help all of us, okay? So along those lines, you're with the NAACP. At what point do you guys go to gather allies, black, brown, white, it doesn't matter, and go, no, we're gonna have to hold this guy accountable. Because when Manchin does it and Cinema does it and the Republicans does it, he bends over backwards. But promises were made and promises need to be kept. Exactly, and that is the history of the NAACP. We have always worked in solidarity with other oppressed communities, making sure that we recognize that for us to be free, everybody everywhere must be free, right? Um, as somebody who deeply believes in uh, the acts of solidarity and people showing up for one another, it's necessary for us to work hand in hand to make this happen. Um, as we know that you know, cancellation of student debt is progress for everybody. The more that we cancel, uh, the more progress that we'll see in America, the more we'll see uh, people have discretionary funds uh, to help support their own endeavors and whatever futures they wanna see within this country. And so if we really want to have uh, a hope of walking hand in hand and making sure that we are advocating for all, we must reach out to each other, we must work with one another and we must show up for each other even when it's difficult. Right. So the difficult part of that question, of course, is when, right? When, when, and I know that you don't have the answer ahead of time, right? But has there been talks internally? Is when you get to a point where you go, it looks like Biden's not going to do it, and we're going to have to put pressure on. Yeah, well, I think in this moment in time right now, we know that there is a pause on student loan repayments that ends on September 30th. And so in this moment in time, we actually need to put the pressure on really quickly because once that pause is stopped, you know, there's gonna be a bunch of folks who have to pay back their student loans and might not have the means to do that. And as we said before, this, this system that we operate in isn't working. And so if the Biden administration hopes to really support and show up for the black community and show up for the allies and show up for the people who supported him along this entire campaign trail, it's really important that in this period of time that everybody join the fight, that everybody gets involved, that everybody shares their stories, right? Something that I've been talking about with the Biden administration, with the education secretary Cardona is the need to hear the stories about how student debt has affected all of us, right? There's people who have graduated from college or people who went to college and didn't even graduate. There's parents, there's young people who haven't even started their college journey yet who has been affected by this issue of cancellation of student debt. And so it's necessary that in this moment in time that we all join in, that we all jump in, that we all share our stories and all do what we can to make sure that this issue actually gets resolved. Uh, yeah, that, that definitely makes sense. Yeah. And uh, and it, by the way, it's not just about liberating people and that's enough in, uh, of it on its own. But it also has tremendous economic benefits for the whole country because it, it liberates people to spend money on houses, cars and so many other things and it helps improve the economy. All right, uh, Wisdom Cole uh, with the NAACP, thank you so much for joining us, really appreciate it.
All right, back on uh, the conversation. Kara Eastman had some of the closest races we have ever covered. I mean, she's a walking political heart attack. Uh, so uh, we, I remember the the night where she won her primary in incredible dramatic fashion. Uh, come from behind victory by a tiny margin. She's had some amazing wins, some amazing losses, uh, two time Justice Democrat. Uh, and now uh, she set up a new pack called We Have the People Pack, which is logical for a, a former Just Democratic candidate. Uh, and it has a really interesting mission. So we brought Cara back to talk about that. Cara, uh, how you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Yeah, and, and of course, Cara was from Nebraska's second district. Uh, and uh, and did an amazing job there. And Biden won that district, uh, partly because of of the ads and the effort that Carr put into it. Uh, so that could have made all the difference, by the way, in uh, in, in the presidential race. All right. So uh, Carr, uh, having learned those lessons and having fought both the establishment Democrats and the Republicans, uh, you've got a wealth of knowledge here. Uh, so uh, tell us what the point of the pack is. We, we started the We Have the People pack because what I mean, we learned a lot in 2018 and in 2020. And we, we felt like one thing, uh, state, local parties, they, they, don't, they don't do enough to help candidates. I mean, they just don't, they don't understand all the needs and, and it's a shame. And so candidates need support. We also saw that Nebraska's simply overlooked, underfunded when it comes to, get out the vote efforts when it comes to investments in candidates. And so we wanted to use our fundraising prowess and our power to help candidates here and a little bit out in the Midwest as well. And and so and we're also excited because we're gonna partner with local organizations, not just to get out the vote during elections, but to create a plan. We wanna create a 10 year plan and say we need voter education, we need civic education, we need voter registration. We need to make sure that communities of color are invested in candidates and understand the importance of elections. And so we're really excited. And I think one of the things I know my team is most excited about, and it's people who worked on the campaign with me, we're on this together, because we have the people, right? And is really helping candidates directly. We have incredible ability to Organize things to raise money to get people excited, and we want to use that to help candidates who who really need it, especially those underdog candidates, people like me who came out of nowhere, and now have to learn the whole the whole grind. And it's unfortunate because we know that politics and elections are a money game. And while I want to do everything in my power to get money out of politics, starting the pack was something I could do for now before we we're actually able to do that. So, Cara, I know you took no corporate PAC money. Obviously, you were just Democrat, but um, is it you raised the most money that a Democrat has ever raised in Nebraska? Is that right? That's right. That's right. That's amazing. And again, with, yeah, with no corporate PAC money, and that was a hustle at the beginning. And I think that's something that I'm trying to impart to candidates here. We don't have anybody who's announced locally in Nebraska yet for the congressional race, but we will. And I'm trying to teach people, this is how you gotta do it. Unfortunately, we have to do call time. We spent eight hours a day doing call time for four years. It's a grind, it's ridiculous, and we have to end it. And we have to figure out a much better, there are much better ways to do this. But in the meantime, I wanna help candidates how I can. Yeah, now there's something ironic too in what you're doing in the materials that I read. Because you got attacked by moderate Democrats, so-called moderate Democrats in 
one of the worst ways that I've ever seen. Uh, and, and it's probably what cost you the election against the Republican. So a uh, former corporate Democrat in that race uh, that you had beat the last time around and then you beat his wife in the primary this time around. Uh, betrayed Democrats and did an ad for the Republican in the race. And it was almost certainly the difference maker in your race. But you say something interesting in your materials that you wanna teach progressives how to talk to moderate voters. So it, first of all, it's kind of magnanimous if you just still have that in your heart after what you went through. Uh, but tell us wh why you think that's so important. Well. What's interesting to me about progressive values and policies is that they are way more popular than candidates themselves. And so I've talked to people in you know all over the district and still have people coming up to me saying, you know, you really you really flip me on Medicare for all. It makes a lot of sense. I don't actually love my private health insurance. There's a better way. I have doctors, nurses around the district who tell me this all the time. And so there's a way to talk about these things. We have to keep talking about how pragmatic and practical they are. We have to talk about cost savings. I mean, Medicare for all saves the government money. It saves individuals money. And and I think that when we when we show people that we're what we're talking about is is real life stuff, stuff that impacts people on their day to day basis. Things that people care about like healthcare, putting food on the table, breathing clean air, drinking clean water, having buildings that don't collapse, fixing the bridges in their towns. I think this is how we win and we still have work to do in Nebraska, but but I feel like we had some things that we did well in terms of turnout, we, we did incredible. In terms of fundraising, we did incredible and we really ignited the base here and that needs to continue. So you also mentioned teaching them about social media a little bit, etc. And so these are all the fundamentals. And for folks at home, if you don't know, when someone goes to run, they have no idea what they're doing. Okay, and so if they're not a professional politician and they don't come from the lobbyists and consultant class, etc., you really need something like we have the People Pack or Just Democrat or whatever. These different organizations, and they all have their different roles to teach folks how you do this, right? So, but in, in the context of social media and media in general, um, you know, the, your opponent, uh, Don Bacon, uh, you know, had these hilarious ads where he painted you as this dangerous socialist and, and literally took you out of context uh, when you were joking about being a, a socialist uh, in one of your uh, videos and then just totally lied, just un, it was brazen. So this is a super hard question because I'm not sure I know how to deal with it. But how do you deal with it when the media won't act as honest referees and say, "Oh, that guy is lying. That is not at all what she said. Great question. <laughs> I'm not sure that I know the answer to it because I think a lot of people wanted me to go on TV and just say, well, he's lying. And the, the problem is he had already lied. So that information is out there. And then if I go on defense, then I'm, if I, you know, if we're explaining or defending, then we're losing. And it's a shame because I feel like people I care about in my district were lied to. And we've seen the results of his lies, of his alignment with, 
with Trump and the Republican Party, and you know his his claim to be bipartisan. My gosh, he uses that word over and over and over again, and it's it's all BS. So it's a shame. But I think you know when we have good candidates, if we keep putting out these messages, and and frankly, we just have to we have to get better at, at unifying our messaging together. We need national campaigns to help us out. It's one of the things that I had asked for was like I need I wanted a national campaign on Medicare for all because I needed people to help me explain what this was. Because again, it's very popular once people understand it. So I just I think we need we just need more stuff. Well, Cara, I mean, when it comes to progressives, we're really behind the eight ball because you know, when you ask the National Democratic Party running in a super important district like you were, it's a very purple district and was important to the presidential race as well. To help you on framing on Medicare for all, number one, I should note how incredibly correct you are because. For folks, if you don't know at home, it used Tip O'Neill once said, all politics is local, and knuckleheads are still quoting that. Uh, no, all politics are now national because of cable news and the internet, right? And so if the, if the Republicans are winning the messaging war at the national level, that just flows down to all the candidates, right? And that affects you more than your own race oftentimes. So when the Democratic Party says, no, we don't even agree, we agree with the Republicans on Medicare for all. Well, then you're screwed, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, and I, I've said this recently to a number of people. I think that there are a lot of people in Congress who haven't read the bills that are out there, who and they don't understand it. But but the 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 momentum behind this idea of we have the people is that this is a very popular policy once people understand exactly what it is. And people like to nitpick it, right? Like, well, I don't love the way Medicare is now. Well, Medicare for all would change that. Well, I you know, I I'm nervous that I'm gonna lose health care. Well, no, you're gonna actually have health care that's that's unbridled, that's untethered from Copays, deductibles, premiums from your job. You're gonna actually be able to go out and get a job and not have to worry about whether or not you have health care or if your COBRA is extended or all this stuff. So these are really popular policies. And so it's time for us to start aligning, like line everything up. We've got to line the candidates up. We've got to have great candidates, which we're really excited to announce our slate of endorsed candidates here today. But but we've got to have messaging that's 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 uniform, that's consistent, and and also we have to to stop letting the Republicans define us all the time. We have to put ourselves out there and define ourselves. Okay, um, so did you want to announce the candidates right now? If you'd like, I would love to. Yeah, let's do it. All right, let's do it. So we have, unfortunately, we don't have somebody in Nebraska right now, but we will soon. We just haven't had anybody announce yet. But um, the first person we decided to endorse is Nina Turner in Ohio 11. You might have heard of her. Um, we think <laughs> she's think amazing, <laughs> and uh, we're really excited and hope she wins that open uh, that that special election. We have Kena Collins in Illinois 7th. Um, I had a chance to meet Kena in at an event in Oak Park and uh, just was blown away by how great she was. We have Chris Larson running for Senate in Wisconsin. He's got a lot of experience. He's a state senator like Nina Turner. Uh, Marie Newman, who's the incumbent in Illinois 3rd. Uh, she's been great on progressive issues. And last but not least is uh, Lucas Kuntz, who's running for Senate in Missouri, who has a phenomenal resume. I mean, he was a Marine, um, defended members of the military from predatory finance and great on getting rid of corporate PACs. So we're really excited about these candidates and hopefully people in Nebraska and beyond will be as well. Yeah, well, uh, I already know uh, that almost everybody you mentioned is a great candidate. Uh, We've interviewed a lot of them already. Obviously, the town hall with Nina this weekend. 
and I've got Larson coming up soon as an interview on on the conversation as well. So these are great solid folks that Carr is looking to help now. So the next generation of progressives can win those races and not have to reinvent the wheel every time. And guys, every pack has a slightly different purpose, right? For example, Rebellion Pack wants to do tougher ads and they want to do digital advertising and figure that out in a way that Democrats haven't yet. As you could tell from what Cara is saying, we have the People Pack is trying to help them with infrastructure and learnings and understand so that they can get their footing as quickly as possible and do the best they can. So if you can, obviously help out. So and and there aren't these giant, you know, lobbyists coming in to give money to organizations like this. So <laughs> it's wehavethepeople.com is a website there. We'll have the links down below, but it's easy to remember wehavethepeople.com. Cara, as always, thank you for fighting a good fight and uh, and doing everything you can to help progressives win in this country. Well, thank you again. I, I love being here with you. You all are, you know, you're my favorite. And uh, I'm going to head back to the College World Series right now. So have a good night. <laughs> okay, perfect. All right, take care.